Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. We will continue our series in the book of James today as we talk about genuine faith. And today's uh, topic is how to make God's will your first priority. How to make God's will your first priority. Now, last week we were in James 4. We looked at the first couple of verses. I want to read that and kind of hitch my idea to that. But in James 4, verse 1 through 3, James says, What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. So here are people that wanted to do things, but they didn't take the time to ask God. And when they did ask God, it was a selfish prayer rather than a Lord, may your will be done kind of prayer. And that's what we're going to talk about today is how to make God's will our first priority. Now, if we're being honest, I think Warren Wiersbe nails this. He says, too many Christians look upon the will of God as bitter medicine they must take instead of seeing it as the gracious evidence of the love of God. I would say it this way. Most people look at God's will as, I know I need to lose 15 pounds, but I just don't feel like it, right? It's something that's good and it's something we should do. I just don't want to do it right now. That tends to be the attitude that some people have toward God's will. Wearsby told a story that uh, years ago he met a teenager at a youth conference, and this, this teenager told him, I would give my life to God, but I'm afraid. And Wearsby said, what are you afraid of? And he says, well, I'm afraid God will ask me to do something dangerous. And I like Wearsby's response. He says, the dangerous life is not in the will of God. It's out of the will of God. The safest place in the world you can be right now is right where God wants you to be. And um, that reminds me of uh, an article I read years ago comparing Jonah who uh, ran from God and got on a boat and a storm and was thrown overboard and ended up in the belly of a big fish. And then Paul the Apostle who was preaching the gospel of Christ and he was put in chains and he appealed to Caesar and he ended up on a one-way ticket to Rome and he was on a boat that was in a storm and it was shipwrecked, but his life was spared. And the thought of that article was this. You can be, tr- you can be in trouble in the will of God. You can be in trouble out of the will of God. So if you're going to be in trouble, you might as well be in the will of God. And that's true. You know, whenever you do the will of God, it doesn't mean you don't have problems. It doesn't mean you don't have challenges and stuff. It's just that when you know that God is with you, that is the assurance that you need to keep on doing what God has called you to do. Wearsby shared about a difficult season in his ministry where he questioned the will of God. He was on vacation. He was seeking the Lord in prayer. He was reading his Bible, asking God for assurance and encouragement. And he was reading the book of Psalms. And he read in Psalm 33:11, it says, The counsel of the Lord stands forever, the plans of his heart from generation 
to generation. Don't you like that? The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart from generation to generation. And Wearsby came to this conclusion. He said the will of God comes from the heart of God and his will is the expression of his love so I don't have to be afraid. And he goes on to say that that was a turning point in his life and in his ministry. The will of God comes from the heart of God. And so when we trust God and we do his will for our lives, he's got such a bigger, better picture that we can't even comprehend because he looks at it from generation to generation. So my my question for you today is this. What is your attitude towards God's will? Is it, man, I know I need to lose 15 pounds. I just don't want to. Or is it, you know, Lord, I know that you know what's best and I'm willing to trust you and I'm just going to leave the results and the consequences to you. That takes faith. What is your attitude towards God's will? A uh, young preacher and and an older preacher were having a conversation once and this young man in ministry was really questioning God's will for his life and what God wanted him to do. And so the older preacher walked up to a rose bush and handed him a, a rosebud and said, can you open this thing, uh, can you open this rosebud without tearing off any pot petals? And he thought, what an, what an odd thing to say. And so he took it and he began to try to separate the petals. But as you know, a, a rose is so tender that the petals just fall. And finally he gave up. And when he gave up, he looked at the older pastor who cited a poem. It's called Unfolding the Rosebud, and it goes like this. He says, it's only a tiny rosebud, a flower of God's design, but I cannot unfold the petals with these clumsy hands of mine. The secret of unfolding flowers is not known to such as I. God opens this flower so sweetly when in my hands they fade and die. If I cannot unfold a rosebud, the flower of God's design, then how can I think I have wisdom to unfold this life of mine? So I'll trust in him for his leading each moment of every day. I will look to him for his guidance each step of the way. The pathway that lies before me, only my heavenly father knows. I'll trust him to unfold the moments just as he unfolds the rose. That's what you and I have to learn to do, to put put our lives in God's hands and trust for God to work in His will and His way and His time and He always knows what's best. You know, as I was meditating on this this week, I began to realize that God expresses His revealed will to different people in different ways. And I realized that I like the way He did it with Noah. Let me explain. We just finished a a series on Noah on Wednesday nights and you'll know that God warned Noah that there was going to be a flood that was going to destroy the world and wipe out all life. And so God told Noah what he was going to do, and then he gave Noah specific instructions on what he should do. Hey, I'm, I'm wanting you to build this ark. It's supposed to be this big, this tall, and, and, and I want you to build it just like this, and then be prepared, and I will spare you and your family. I like the way God revealed his will to Noah. He gives him like the big picture headline, a flood's coming, but I've got a plan for you. I want you to do this. And there's instructions and details. I like that, don't you? Uh, I like it when God reveals his will like that. But then I got to thinking about other people in the Bible and God didn't do that. Let me give you an example. What about Abraham? You remember Abraham, the father of the faith? 
When God called Abraham, he said, leave everything that you know and go to a land that I will show you. Well, where is it at, God? I'll show you. Well, how do I know I, how do I know when I get there? Well, I'll tell you. Well, all right. And when you read that story, when Abraham gets to the land, there's a famine in the land. And that's a whole other story within the story. But the point is, God told Abraham to go to a place that he would show him. God gave him the direction, go this way, and I'll tell you when you get there. Boy, that, that's kind of hard, isn't it? You know, when, when God reveals his will like that. And then there's Moses. Now this one, <laughs> I hope you appreciate this one. Moses, you know the story of Moses. He's on Mount Horeb, the, the, the mountain of God as they call it. And he encounters God in a burning bush. You know the story. God, this, this burning bush is on fire, but it's not consumed. It gets Moses' attention. He goes over to it, and Moses speaks through the burning bush. Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. He begins to have an encounter with God. I just want to read two verses from that, that passage in the Bible. It's Exodus 3, 11, and 12. And notice what God says to Moses. That This little nugget really shines out to me. Moses asked God, you know, God tells Moses, I, I've heard the cry of my people, and I am sending you back to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let my people go, okay? And, and that's the agenda. That's what God wants to do, and he wants to use Moses to do it. And, and Moses says in Exodus 3.11, he asks God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And listen to, to God's answer in verse 12. I will certainly be with you, and this will be the sign to you that I am the one who sent you. When you bring the people out of Egypt, you will all worship God at this mountain. Did you catch that? God says, I'm going to be with you. And if you want proof, here's a sign. When it's all said and done, y'all will come back and worship me on this mountain. Well, that's when it's already done and over with. That's when it's, you know... 2020 vision, looking back at past, uh, past tense, it's already happened. Isn't it funny that sometimes God reveals his will by saying, here's what I want you to do, and I'll be with you. And when it's all said and done, you'll get to a place to where you look back and go, wow, look at what God did. Boy, that takes faith, don't it? And then, of course, there's David. Uh, one more example here. David, the King David, the shepherd boy who, who became king. He had it in his heart to build a temple for God. And God says, it's not for you to do that. Uh, the passage uh, that I think of is 1 Kings 8, when Solomon dedicates the temple, and he says these words in 1 Kings eight seventeen. My father David had his heart set on building a temple for the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father David, since your heart was set on building a temple for my name, you've done well to have this desire, yet you are not the one to build it. Instead, your son, your own offspring, will build it for my name. You know, sometimes we, we, we have it in our heart to do something for God, and he doesn't need us to do it. And he says, you know, I'm glad that you have that desire in your heart. That's a good thing, but that's not my will for you. And David didn't build the temple, but you know what he did? He organized and he collected so many materials that when Solomon became his successor and the next king, he had everything at his disposal to build a beautiful temple for God. I just thought it was fascinating that there's different ways that God can reveal his will to people. And here's my point. 
And I think this comes from some, some great people of faith. Billy Graham said this. He said, if you're ignorant of God's word, you'll always be ignorant of God's will. Adrian Rogers said it this way. Much of God's will for your life is already found in the Bible. And that's true. So I want to give you a broad view this morning before I zero in on James chapter 4. Um, there are four wills of God in the Bible that, that apply to everybody, okay? And I want you to get this first because this sets up everything else, okay? There are four wills of God that are universal for everybody. And here's the first one. Believe in Jesus Christ. In John 6, verse 40, Jesus says, This is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. God wants everybody to be saved. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, the first thing is He wants you to know Him. That is His desire. That is His will. He wants everyone to be saved. It starts there. And when you come to know Jesus Christ, you begin to realize that life is more than just about us. It's about Him. And all of a sudden you realize that He has a purpose and a plan for your life and it's much bigger and better than mine could ever be and yours could ever be. The, the second will of God is to abstain from sexual sin. In 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3, listen to what it says. For this is God's will. How, how straightforward is that? For this is God's will, your sanctification, that means living a holy life, that you keep away from sexual immorality. Again, that's something that God wants all people to do. He wants them to walk in holiness. He wants them to walk in purity. He wants them to enjoy the benefits of a godly marriage, and He wants to be able to bless that at the perfect time and season of life. Then there's the third thing, give thanks in everything. And let me qualify what I said, give thanks in everything. I didn't say give thanks for everything, but give thanks in everything. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. God wants us to be people of gratitude. And no matter what happens in our life, no matter what kind of problems we face, situ situations or circumstances we might find ourselves in, we can look up to God and thank Him for being with us. We can thank Him for His presence. We can thank Him for His promises. And we may not be thankful for the problem that we have or the disease that we've received as a diagnosis or whatever, but in the midst of it, we can thank God for something. And that's what it means to give thanks in everything. And then, of course, the fourth will of God is to submit in doing what's right. To submit in doing what's right. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13 through 15, it says, Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will, there it is, it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. And how do we silence the, the, the ignorance of foolish people? 
It's when we submit to doing the right thing, we submit to those in, in authority, and we do what God wants us to do. Now, let's look back at those four things for a moment, and I want you to get the perspective you need to realize why those four things are very important to discovering God's will. These four things are in sport, important to discovering God's will because, number one, when you're saved, you realize that God's got a purpose for your life. You realize that his purposes and his plans are so much bigger and better than yours. And we just get to be a part of the kingdom. We get to be a part of the local church now that we know Jesus Christ. And I'm excited about what he can do in me. And I'm even more excited about what he can do through me. Okay? Not only that, but the second thing, when you abstain from sexual sin, you're walking in purity and holiness. And then when you give thanks in everything, you have an attitude of gratitude. And when you submit to doing what is right, here's what you see. It is a picture of someone that knows the Lord, that's seeking the Lord, that wants to do His will and not theirs. They're walking in purity and holiness. They are grateful for the things that God provides and how He guides in their life. And they are willing to submit to doing the right thing. God says, when I have that kind of person... I can use them in so many ways. And so those are the four wills of God that we need to keep in mind. But let's get to James this morning. Because in James, we've only got a few short verses. And what James deals with is our attitude towards God's will. And he reveals three wrong attitudes that we can have towards God's will. Okay? Three wrong attitudes toward God's will. Number one, presumption. Presumption. In James 4, verse 13, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll travel to such and such a city, and we'll spend a year there, and do business, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you're like vapor that appears for a little while, and then vanishes. Now, our presumption needs a reality check. Notice that. Notice the uncertainty of the future. He says, you want to do this or that, here or there, but you don't know what tomorrow will bring. All of us have to be honest that we don't know the future. The future is uncertain. We have to live life what? One day at a time. Not only is the future uncertain, but life is brief. And short. I mean, he says our life is like a vapor. It's here and it's gone. Just like that. Like that Lake Cumberland fog that you see every once in a while. We wake up and we see it. And, and then about an hour or so later, it's gone. Remember that God knows the future. And he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. Now, some people look at this and they go, well, maybe God's against planning. <laughs> no. No, he's not. Um, God's not against planning. What God wants you to do is commit your plans to him. I love the verse in Proverbs 16, verse 3. Commit your activities to the Lord and your plans will be established. Do you pray when you plan? I'll never forget when I was young in ministry, I was talking to a mentor and I said, I had a roommate once that was telling me that his dad is in ministry and he, he, he studies during the week and he prays really hard 
and he doesn't know, Brother Don, what he's going to preach on until he wakes up Sunday morning. And I'm like, wow. And I'm going, I don't think I can do that. I think I'd be a nervous, you know, I'd be nervous. And then my mentor says, but I know another guy in, in, in ministry. He says he's a guy that's a planner, and he, he goes to God, and he prays, and he plans, and he knows what he's preaching a full year out. And every week, he gets feedback, you read my mail. And, and, and he says, you know, never be afraid to let God use your personality, but just make sure that however you're wired, you're depending on God, and you pray and include God in your plans. And I would say that's wise counsel. Make sure that when you plan things, you're seeking God. And instead of saying, God, bless this, you're asking God to show you what he wants to do because you know he'll bless what he wants to do. So many times planning is done without prayer. You know you're planning without prayer when you say, oh, God, bless this. Okay? Uh, In other words, we haven't included you now, but now that we are, I hope you bless it. So the, the lesson here is this. Seek God's will. Okay, seek God's will and he will establish your plans. Let your prayers and your plans go together. And that is so true. Another wrong attitude toward God's will is pride. Pride. There in James, uh, look if you will in verse 14 or 15, excuse me. Instead, you should say, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Again, our pride needs a reality check. Notice that it's evil to boast, okay? Notice that we should make it our our practice to say, if the Lord wills. Hey, what are you doing next month? I don't know, but if the Lord wills, I'm going to go here or there, do this or that. Fill in the blank. Um, That is incorporating faith into your planning. And that's what James is telling us to do. Don't let presumption take over. Oh, I've got plenty of time. I'll do what I want and maybe God will bless it. And don't let pride take over um, that I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, Don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day might bring. Isn't that true? None of us needs to boast. Because when it comes to doing God's will and God's work, we have to do it His way. And that means we can't boast about it. We have to say, if the Lord wills, we'll do this or we'll do that. Paul, Paul the Apostle is a really good example of this. Look, if you will, in Acts 18, and uh, he's in the uh, city of Ephesus. And in Acts 18, verse 19, it says, When they reached Ephesus, he left them there. That was Paul and his mission team. When they get to Ephesus, he leaves them there. But he himself entered the synagogue and debated with the Jews. And when they asked him to stay for a longer time, he declined. But he said farewell, and here's what he said. I'll come back to you again if God wills. And then he set sail from Ephesus. That, that's exactly what James is talking about. That is the right attitude or outlook to have toward our plans. We can have our plans, but only God knows what we will do. And so Paul says, I'd love to stay longer, but I can't. 
I'll be back if the Lord wills. And that's exactly what he did. There's a third wrong attitude that you and I can have toward God's will. We talked about presumption. We talked about pride. Now let's talk about preferences. In James 4, 17, he says, So it is sin to know the good and yet not do it. In other words, it's sin to know the good thing that you should do, and yet you don't do it. Notice that you and I cannot pick and choose God's will like it's a buffet line. I know that when I go to a buffet, and they're harder to find now than they used to be, but when I go to a buffet, if they have mac and cheese, I'm getting it 99 and a half times out of 100. One of my favorite comfort foods, and I'm like, mmm, mac and cheese. And, and Lori, when I go to Murray to the sirloin stockade, you know, they've got the broccoli beside it where you can put cheese on the broccoli. Oh, no. This boy gets mac and cheese and puts cheese on the mac and cheese. It's good. You should try it sometime. It's good. But, but here's what I'm saying. You and I can't treat God's will like a buffet line where we pick and choose what we want to do. Okay, God, I'll do this, but I don't really want to do that. That's a wrong attitude toward God's will when we begin to uh, discriminate based on preferences. I'm reminded of uh, Luke chapter 12, a story that Jesus told. In Luke 12, 47, he talked about servants being accountable to the master. And he said that servant who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did what deserved punishment will receive a light beating. For everyone who has been given much, much will be required. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, even more will be expected. And that's the point of what Jesus is saying. When God gives you a gift, he says, I expect you to use it. And when you don't use it, you're going to be accountable to him someday for what you did or didn't do with the gift he gave you. And so to know the good that you should do and not do it, that's sin. And that's what James is saying. Uh, John 9, 41 I remember when Jesus was having a conversation with the Pharisees and um, Jesus said this one telling statement in John 9, 41. He says, if you were blind, Jesus told them, you wouldn't have sinned, but now that you say we see, your sin remains. The, the, the religious people of Jesus' day, they had run out of excuses. If they were blind, then they don't know any better. But now that they say, oh, we see that, we know, he says, but your sin remains. To, to, to know the good that you should do and yet not do it, that is sin. And that's what James is trying to tell us. So when it comes to our attitude toward God's will, what is holding you back? Are you presuming that you can just do whatever you want and God will bless it? Or, or, are you full of pride and say, I'm just going to do it and, and God will take care of me anyway? Are you letting your preferences get in the way to where, God, I'll do this, but I won't do that? Those are ways that you and I can get off track and get out of step in our faith walk with God if we're not careful. We need to make sure that we address these wrong attitudes toward God's will so that we can experience the full blessing of, his, of, 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 of the fullness of His blessing on our life. And so with that said, I want to say this. You know, timing is everything. 
And we know that the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. Remember what I said about the four wills earlier? The first one is God wants you to be saved. I hope you believe that this morning. Even better than that, I I pray that you've received Christ in your life. If you haven't, I want to just encourage you right now. That's the first thing you should be concerned about is do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Will you be prepared to meet your maker someday when you stand before him in heaven? And so um, 2 Corinthians says that at an acceptable time, I listen to you, in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Isn't it cool that God addresses the timing of salvation in the Bible? Because all of us get busy. We get so many things in our minds, on our brains, and, you know, I don't have time to talk about that right now. I'm busy. Check with me later. We, we can play that game all day long, especially with God, okay? But here's what God's trying to say. In Hebrews 3.15, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. In other words, God is saying, Today is the day of salvation. And today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. If God is speaking to you today, He wants you to respond to Him, guess what? Right now. Right now. Are you willing to step out and trust Him? Are you willing to say, Lord, I believe and and simply give Him Uh, your life, remember that the will of God comes from the heart of God. He loves you and he truly is the Father in heaven who knows what's best. Are you willing to come to him? Are you willing to put your faith and trust in him? Are you willing to live your life by saying, Lord, here's my life. I want to trust and follow you. I want to encourage you today that if God is speaking to you, he's not saying get back to me next week. He's not saying wait till a better time when you think you've got it all figured out. If God is speaking to you now, he says, don't harden your heart. Listen to me. Trust me today. Father, we come before you this morning. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this time and your word. And Father, I pray for your will to be done in our lives. Lord, I pray if there's someone here today, Lord, that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that today would be their day of salvation. Today would be their acceptable time to come to you because they hear your voice and they're responding with a heart of trust and faith. Father, have your will and your way in this service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.